my library that I use when I'm borrowing material is slowly coming back online. And my library is not far from where your office is. And I haven't made the walk from my apartment to your office neighborhood in about four months now. And I finally went again last week. I swear it got further away. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> Just walking along. It's a lovely winter day. I had my headphones. I got about like two thirds of the way there. And I'm like, I am winded. <laughs> it's a bit of a walk. It's a bit of a walk, but I was doing it on like, you know, like two or three times a week from the moment we moved in here in right. 21 until the library went offline last October. And you get me not making this walk for four months and all of a sudden I'm just like, I, I want to like lay down and have a husky bring me a flask of bourbon. <laughs> We're not saying Bernard. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not bourbon in the flask either. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. I'm fine, I promise. And you are listening to episode 322 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. I have said it before and I will say it again. I am lucky to live where I do. I've made my home in an incredible cultural center of the world. It's the kind of place where there's theater and music to be found every night of the year, a place where there are whole festivals dedicated to food, art, and yes, film. A place where there are more offerings to be found in a cinema besides the blockbusters and the franchises. Why do I bring that up now? Well, because of today's guest. You see, she is a film critic who is dedicated to covering the medium with a fresh perspective. But her writing goes so much further. It celebrates the city that she and I call home and speaks to the music that can be found here, the dance, the art, the whole cultural buffet, really. And by sharing it, she pushes just a little of it outside of the city limits and brings readers from around the country and around the world into the playhouses, the galleries, and yes, the cinema of our home, Toronto. She is the voice behind High Musings, a space dedicated to Toronto's arts and culture. Heidi Morales is here. How are you tonight? I'm well, thank you. I You made it sound like I do a lot, and I guess I do. <laughs> you do tons. I, I just get out here and babble my nonsense fortnightly. You know, you're cranking out material like, you know, that, that makes me look like a slowpoke. Well, no, I think we were sort of talking offline of like, I, you'll still look or, more organized than I do because I try to be too ambitious sometimes with like social media content and website content and audio and video content, right? Because you want to appeal to as many potential um, art lovers as we can, mm -hmm. but we can mm -hmm. only do so much as one person. And you know this. Yeah. I got to be honest, it's become a lot easier when it's just one show every two weeks. I, I, I'm not, I, I, I do miss writing, but then there's other times where I'm like, I'm good. On episode 322, I'm going to do a short episode to get this out into the world quickly and move along. It's the time of year where finding films to talk about and scheduling shows is a little tricky. So please indulge us just this once. Um, we are going to be discussing a, a very spoilerific uh, conversation, which is kind of putting it a little over the top. It's not a film that has a great big twist, but there is a key plot point that we need to talk about that isn't in the marketing. So consider yourself warned. Um, on episode 322, the new slang is how to have sex. Sleezing and teasing, I'm sitting on them. All 
like my diamonds are dripping on them I met him at the bar, I was 12 or something I ordered two more wines, cause tonight I want them A little context if you care to listen I find myself in a position The man that I love sat me down last night And he told me that it's over, done decision It's gonna be a fun title to say over and over How to Have Sex is directed and written by Molly Manning Walker It stars Mia McKenna-Bruce, Lara Peake, Imba Lewis, Samuel Bottomley, and Sean Thomas how to Have Sex is about three teenage girlfriends, Tara, Skye, and M. Trio venture off on holiday one summer, leaving behind their English schoolgirl lives for one week in Crete, eager to soak in all of the sun, swimming, parties, pools, and sex the seaside town has to offer. Of the three, the story focuses mainly on Tara. You may hear us call her Taz as the film toggles back and forth between Tara and Taz quite often, and her hope for some real escape and experience. Of the three girls, she's the only virgin, and we listen in on the trio and we sense the, a mix of pressure and perhaps even mild eagerness to change that. The girls meet another vacationing trio at the hotel suite next door. I'm using the word suite very loosely here. The group is Badger, Patty, and Paige. The two groups turn into a chummy, if somewhat awkward, sextet and begin their week's adventures together. At a certain point, though, it becomes clear that Tara isn't on the same frequency as everyone else, even going missing for a whole night. Every young friendship gets tested in situations like this, and we watch as the girls have their own moment of truth. How to Have Sex is a film that is very much about fleeting pleasures, all told from Tara's point of view. It's an interesting perspective because there are times when it can raise the profile of objects of desire and other times where it can make of a situation crystal clear. Much of it feels, I dare to say, like it could make for a prime example of the female gaze. So pop quiz hotshot, is there a moment in this film where you felt the female gaze? Oh yeah, I think I think throughout a lot of the film I did notice it because it even threw me back to my own like teenage years and it's like oh i felt some of that sort of is there a specific moment in the film where you can remember where you felt those kinds of no no like not necessarily an association to your own past i don't want to like i don't want to turn this into a therapy session for you and my listeners um, was there a moment in this film where where you know you you felt that oh i think it's uh, it's nothing like uh, controversial but it's just more being um you know, you are close to the end of high school and there are all these pressures around you as young women. And some of it felt very lived in, in mm -hmm. terms of the energy that came off screen. But I also think it's kudos to the cast as well, because obviously they're young actors who who are, you know, of that age group, I think. I'm not saying they're necessarily like late high school, but they're very young in their age. So they they're probably closer in proximity to those feelings. And I think that those were the moments, especially in the beginning where they're like, yay, we're like going away um, and we're going to let loose. I can't say that I related to those end of the year travel plans. I think that might be a very UK or European thing, but mm -hmm. it was just, a, it was just more about um, capturing those moments of like, so what do we, what are we going to do? Like what's going to happen yeah. to a group of friends yeah. as, girl, as girlfriends? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I brought it up on this show, so I apologize to listeners if I'm bringing this up again. But 
in my several years now of um, dedicating more of my attention towards uh, stories told by women, people will come up to me and say something like, are they better? Are they, what, what, what is the appeal? Why, like, besides the obvious, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And what I can say is there are things I see that I don't see in films by men. And I can't articulate it always, but I know it when I see it. And it's usually not just putting us into the shoes of, of the women in the story, but putting us into their shoes in specific moments, wow. you know? And I felt like I did feel that in this film um, as, as a, for instance, like one, for instance, that, that I think of is there's a moment about the end of the first act of the film where Taz, she's, you know, she's found herself getting very, very chummy with Badger, one of the boys mm-hmm. and Badger gets pulled into this part this great big pool party it's like a spring break type event if you can imagine those kinds of things Mm -hmm. lots of alcohol lots of skin um and badger's pulled into one of these games where the the women are basically like you know all over him while an entire crowd of strangers watches and the camera pulls back to taz and when we watch her she's not aghast and she's not crying like she's not visually one emotion or the other or you know like something specific but there's this very uh fascinating swirl of emotions on her face in her eyes in her posture in this moment where she's looking at this boy who she's been quite enamored with and starting to see him in a different way mm-hmm. and that for me was an example of of the female gaze where if it was made by a boy i don't think i would have seen that moment shown in that way mm. That's interesting because that is a very pivotal scene, I think, um, yeah. in, in the film. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think there's a level of empathy, which is putting yourself in someone else's shoes that does come across in some of these films with the female gaze. And just as an aside, I listened to a podcast with the filmmaker and she did mention that um, that happened, that scene where she was on a party travel trip, like um you know, after school kind of trip. And um, that happened. It was an really? environment where there's a lot of alcohol. And I don't think it was like, you know, shot for shot, but definitely that that highly sexually charged vibe was happening because there's alcohol from the morning till the evening. Yeah. And then people, young people don't know what to make of it, but they are sort of expected to like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, but because there are so many people, you don't always notice the the fact that there are people who are just necess- not necessarily comfortable. There's yeah, a lot of bewilderment. Yeah. I wish I could say that it was a moment that really was surprising or was really shocking. But I mean, it's the kind of thing that's been going on for decades that is just going to keep going on. And it's not specific to this Greek town. It happens in all, you know, any, any all-inclusive at spring right. break down in florida and spring break it's just that kind of thing that's been going on you know as long as you and i have been alive and probably longer but it's just getting more and more risque every year and yeah some people they just go with it some people don't even really know what they're getting into others are like just a little too sober or maybe they're not sober enough and they're like this is not cool Mm -hmm. and and you never know until you're until you're in it but yeah to show it like you know the director says like i felt that so putting that into a film is something that's really important because a lot of people don't we haven't actually talked about um what we each thought of the movie how did how did the movie work out for you how to have sex i actually um 
tried to go in not knowing too, too much about it, except that he had the uncertain regard um, mm-hmm. honors from the con festival and um, that I knew it was a kind of a coming of age film for young women. I obviously looked at the trailer. So I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, the audience I saw it with was predominantly adults over 25. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, but I think we, we all left, like I heard chatter at the end and people were like, Oh, that was, they were talking about specific scenes and I'm like, Oh yeah. So people are getting something out of this film. And I think that's what makes it more enjoyable where we all get yeah. something from a story like this one. And like I mentioned earlier, it does kind of sometimes put you back in, in that mindset of being young and like, who do you talk to about your experiences? Like, are your friends really your friends? Which is something that comes up in this film, but the pressure mm-hmm. of having so-called friends and even those friends being pushier than, than the guys, you know, in some situations. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I'm very um, pleasantly surprised because this is like the filmmaker's first feature and she wrote yeah. it and directed it. So I think it's definitely well done. Yeah. It's, it's a really, it's a really well-made film. Um, it's a really great debut. And I actually went in rather blind. I didn't even see a trailer. Uh, I just, I knew it was one that I had circled at TIFF, but I couldn't fit it into my yeah. limited schedule. Um, and that was about all I knew. I, I didn't really know what I was going to be getting into. So it just unfolded in natural time. I was a little worried early on because I thought, am I just going to be spending 90 minutes with these girls partying? Cause that's going to get very tedious, very quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I, you know, I, I can't, I don't really have patience for entitled kids. Um, so, you know, when they're just drinking and smoking and making a mess, like it's one of those things where I'm like, dear God, okay. I'm like, can we just fast forward till you're 27? Uh, the movie gets very complex, very quick around the, around that moment that we talked about in the intro where Taz has this um, moment of clarity at this great big, huge party. And she, goes off um and then that's kind of when the film really picks up so that's and that's pretty much right at the end of act one so at that point i was hooked mm-hmm. i was in the beginning mildly but i was like i don't really know what i'm going to be getting into because right. this is tedious but the moment it really hung on her experience amongst this group of friends and kind of group of strangers that was what really drew me into the story mm-hmm yeah, I think that's a really good point. And the film is not very long, which is no, no, yeah, short and to the point. Yeah, great, yeah. great for a debut. You know, that's <laughs> it's been uh, you know, we're at the tail end of Oscar season now. It's been a lot of three and four hour movies. <laughs> it was really nice to be done one in 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 a short amount of time. <laughs> the whole film hangs on, uh, as we mentioned a couple times, on Tara, this young actor, Mia McKenna Bruce. Um, had you seen her before? Did, did, how did this, how did she work for you in this story? Cause it really, the movie kind of lives or dies with her. She, she sold it for me in the sense, I don't know why I'm using that word, but it, she nailed it. And I think it's also mm. because of the close-ups that we see of her in the film. Mm. It's the, it's also putting me really close to her in those sensations and those feelings and like those moments of vulnerability that, she's with friends but also feeling kind of left out or alone you know and and just being able to pick up on those nuances from just watching her and her body language um i think really she she really did well and i spoke to somebody after the screening and we were thinking of florence Pugh, 
Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Right? It's not just because of the feature similarity, but it was just, that's how Florence Pugh was in her first film, like the Lady Macbeth one, if you remember that one. Love that one. Right, like I watched it as well with a friend of mine, and we were both like, "Who is this actor? I don't think I know much about her." Was there was there like a, a scene or a moment that um, McKenna really kind of drew you in in the movie? I think I think she grew over the film and like overall, but I do see the beach scene with with Patty, which is I don't want to give too much away because of a spoiler, but there are mm. moments in her phase where it's like the level of confusion and not knowing if she should keep going with what's got, what's happening, but she's also trying to set boundaries and trying to be fun at the same time. Like there was a lot going on there that I thought she, she really did well in that, in that scene. There are other yeah. scenes that I like, but that one is just one. Yeah. It, that, that is a, that is a really, um, it's a key scene. Um, I mean, it's what I what I think I was really drawn into with that scene, along with her performance, is even just the way it's written mm-hmm. and the way we as observers really gain a clearer understanding of when something seems like it's okay, but it's really not okay. Um, you know, so so in this moment to put a point on it, she and Patty are on the beach, and you know, Patty's being coercive, Patty's being cajoling in terms of wanting to uh, have sex with Tara. And while he's not, you know, aggressively charging ahead, like he asks a couple times, is this okay? You can tell it's really not okay. You know, mm-hmm. like she, she's nodding and saying, uh, uh-huh. but at the same time, it's like, that's not legit. She's going along with this despite herself, not because, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing that you don't see depicted in films or stories very often. Yeah, I think so. I think they nail that where I'm sure a lot of young women or women in general, regardless of age, could relate to, right? And it's yeah, also- like non-consensual consent. It's that, and I also think of ways of how do we even navigate consent when you don't know someone very well it, it, as well, right? Because you don't know them yet, so you don't know what what their language is in terms of body language, you know, so there's a lot happening there that I think, in, especially for young people now, that I think it's important for them to see. I really quite like when she was walking back home. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's this moment, like, after she is done with her night alone, and she's walking back to meet up with her friends, she's walking through this town, and, like, everything's closed, and there's garbage on the streets. But she, and she's just walking through the stretch to get back to the hotel where her friends are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, you could... If you were a crueler person, you could call it a walk of shame. Um, I will not, because that's not what it is. Um, but it's also not a walk of triumph, right? Like, she's mm-hmm. she's actually just had... She landed pretty gently after this run-in with Patty. Like, she, after her run-in with Patty, she went off on her own, and she found this other group that kind of folded her in, because this the this one girl in the group, unlike everybody else in the circle she's been spending the week with can see she's not okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're going to come with us and we're going to take care of you. You shouldn't be alone right now. You certainly shouldn't be alone tonight. Mm-hmm. Come back with us. And she did, she spends the time in this, you know, much safer, still very mixed company environment. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it all, Taz walks home and it's, it's this very interesting swirl of feelings, you know, like we, it's, it's a really long shot. So inner body mm-hmm. language, 
on her face. You know, she's still wearing that outfit from the night before. It's a moment where both direction and performance come together nicely for me. For sure. sure. No, no, it's an excellent scene for sure. (laughs) Did you, uh, I know, I I know I did. Did did you have moments where you, I think you said earlier in the, in the introduction where you could relate to being stuck on a bad vacation? Um, Not necessarily a bad vacation because I, you know, I was a little bit overprotected by family when I was in high school. But definitely as Mm. I got older, like late high school, early university, in terms of just being out with friends and you're like, I'm not sure about this. But you almost feel stuck because you can't leave. (laughs) Can't go home. Right. You can't go home. But it's also you don't – I think – the other thing about being um, young women or just women in general is that you don't want to leave your friends because that's kind of part of the pact, right? That you right. will ensure that you all go home together, right? Somebody has to stay somewhat sober. Like if you're thinking of this film, right? Like no one's really sober, but they're somehow no. still managed. There's a walk in the night with the three of them. We're like, oh, we need some chips, like and fries, but like, you know, but they're still trying to keep it together, the three of them. So even if you feel stuck sometimes, you still want to make sure you, that your friends are okay. Does this film kind of condemn that? Because Em and Sky just totally bloody lose her that first night. So is this film, would you say this film kind of condemns that? I kind of feel like they get away scot-free with that one. You know, I feel like that is a really interesting topic because it's a little murky when you're in a very charged environment like that where you're not, you're away from home. And you're also all kind of been hyped to expect or not expect, but you're, you've been hyped to perform a particular way. You're going to have fun all the time. You're going to drink all the time. You're going to fulfill whatever it is you need to fulfill, lose your virginity or drink whatever. And I feel like it's not condemning the friends, but that is what happens sometimes in young friendships where maybe you're well-meaning. Like I would say the example of the friend um, M um, yeah. and Balu is she's sort of the middle of the two extremes, right? With Taz and, and Sky, where Sky yeah. is like very kind of domineering, pressuring Taz and Taz is sort of trying to go along with it and people please. And M is trying to be sort of in the middle of the two. And I think that is, that is what happens in young friendships within I don't want to generalize for all young people but um I can see how it's not necessarily condemning but that happens and when you're so, yeah, so I was gonna say so you're saying this film it's it's kind of it's a fair depiction it's not mm-hmm. like it, it kind of sounds like it's the kind of thing that happens just because we're young and clumsy to an extent that's what I think yes it's really interesting because you don't you don't see that often in films like in, in a film like in a film like this typically you know uh, a character like sky would seem like a real you know pick word at the end of the movie but yeah i mean well she is she is she doesn't she doesn't certainly doesn't help anything um and, and and very and actually at the end of the movie like we're really kind of aghast is kind of a strong word we're a little uncomfortable with the kinds of conversations that Sky is having at the end, having seen everything that Tara's gone through. And M obviously recognizes that um, because she is the one who gets the truth mm-hmm. out of Tara. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing about this movie is that while Sky is that kind of character, the film doesn't want to tar her with that brush. It wants to make it clear that 
this is that kind of girl in this moment at this time, mm-hmm. but it's not malicious. It's not out of irresponsibility or stupidity or anything like that. It's just, she's a kid. Yeah. And I also think that's, those are insecurities that come out in different ways. How so? Part of what I was picking up with um, Sky's character is that she didn't like that Taz was also getting attention from Badger and then Patty. And, mm. and it's sort of like, you know, unfortunately, we're socialized to expect attention. And if somebody else gets it, it's like, oh, my God, why? Um, yeah. And it's like, what have I? So should I be more provocative or should I be should I act this way or that? And so that I can now gain some of that attention back. And it's this weird sense of insecurity that all young people have, you know, and, and I mean, even as adults, people have insecurity manifest in different ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, what you say is actually really interesting because, uh, sky throughout the movie sky is never presenting herself in any way that I would call demure. Mm -hmm. When you put it that way, it's like, here's, here's a, here's a, you know, a pretty young girl who's quite literally putting herself out there. And yet, all the boys in this little social circle are basically falling over themselves for Tara, who is let's, you know, let's use a gentle word and say clumsy with both of them. Um, and so how is that messing up? You know, like, how is she thinking I'm not getting what I wanted out of this trip? Why is my friend who's a virgin getting their attention? What else do I have to do? I'm, you know, basically showing like everything I've got. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's saying all that without explicitly saying all of that. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the way that this movie pivots from, you know, we talked about how that first act is just kind of a snapshot of a party to turning into something that actually has some stakes. Did like, did the film do that elegantly for you? Did you, was, did you find it jarring? How did, how did you find the, the whole flow of the narrative? I didn't think it was jarring. I actually thought, Oh, that's kind of refreshing. Right. Because we're actually going to see this unraveling of things. Mm. And I kind of wanted to know how it's going to unravel. The structure is really interesting when you think about it, because we get into Tara wandering off very early. Like we, Mm -hmm. we get into that around again, around the 30 minute mark. And in a lesser movie that would turn into this, like, you know, some sort of a mystery of like the rest of them <laughs> looking for Tara for, for a whole day and then, mm-hmm. you know, turning into what what is actually happening with Tara. The way that this movie is structured, how Tara wanders off, we do catch up with what happened with her and then everything picks back up. I mm-hmm. actually found that to be a rather bold narrative choice. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could understand this as a book where a mm-hmm. chapter is like, Meanwhile, over with Tara and the friends, but you don't see that in film very often. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. I mean, that's where I would be curious to speak to the filmmaker because they're also the writer, right? So mm-hmm. it's sort of like, where is it coming from? The only thing I gather from the a very short podcast, the one short podcast I mentioned earlier, was that she was saying um, she wrote the film because she t- she talked to friends that she went traveling with as young adults uh, now that they're older and then everybody started to talk about what it was like for them, but nobody had shared their experiences at the time. Okay. But now that you're older, you feel more comfortable to share. Well, I didn't really always enjoy X, Y, and Z. Right. right? And and maybe that's also part of, I'm not saying that's why she didn't, you know, um, they went that way or the other, but I also think, um, maybe decisions around being bold with their script or the way that it's, you know, shot or depicted 
can come into play here. Um, but I can definitely see how some, some audience members would be like, wait a second, what's happening here? Like, where am yeah. I going? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real it's a real swing, right? And it's not it's not the prototypical way that we take a movie from another point of view. Like usually we'll back up and and take a whole a whole story over. We won't diverge over into into a tangent, you know, like we won't go off on some weird little side mission with Tara and then come back and then still have so much time afterwards. Like that's the that's the wild thing is we we go on Tara's night for the better part of an act, like we're with Tara for a good 20 oh, minutes, wow. mm-hmm. you know, before we come back and, you know, put the whole gang back together and spend the last act with them all, with mm-hmm. all of this knowledge understood. Usually it's, it's not that kind of way. Like, we'll if we're going to, if we're going to go, we go, we mm-hmm. don't go and then come back. When I was sitting in the cinema, I just kind of sat there and said, I, I'm just going to go where this is going because like you in the very beginning, I didn't want it to be just a party film, right? Because okay. I'm also of a particular itch as well, where I'm like, we're I don't. <laughs> we can say it. We're old. We is a big we, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I still feel like youthful in a lot of my thinking. But I also think my patience in terms of what's being shown on screen is short because yeah. I also want my time to be well spent with yeah. those characters. Yeah. Of course, I, I think as you get older, you, you're going to prefer certain things or not. What I was um, missing in this in the cinema for me is that I wanted more of the younger crowd to get the experience of what young audiences right now would, would be seeing on screen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I'd love to talk to my niece about this uh-huh. um, and see and see what she thinks. Um, it, it's it's interesting because sometimes you get into a film and there's kind of a misreading of it, right? When you're when you're younger, you see it like the same way that the same way that you just see the experience itself as something that is really cool, and then you get into it and you have a mixed feeling about it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I would be interested to, to talk to some younger uh, audiences and see what they think of it. Um, please tell me where I could find some teenage girls. Um, I, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's in, in one way or another, but I, I can't. That's going to be the tagline for this show. There is one other thing I yeah. wanted to mention, if I may, um, that there was a comment. So the film is released by movie. Yeah. Which is also a platform that you can watch things from home. That's web based, but they have a summary of the film on the website that's public safe, uh, facing. It's not a movie yet, okay. but you can tell people have seen the film and they leave comments. Um, I guess people in the UK have access to it on movie right now, whereas in North America we're getting the film now, or they saw it right, at a film right. festival. Because he did some film festivals in in Europe, so somebody actually yeah, yeah. posted in their comment of the film that they went to a screening where the filmmaker Molly Manning Walker was there, and they were talking about how they really want to show these film. They really want their film to be seen by young people because it shows how uncomfortable young people in the UK still feel about um, bringing these topics up around sex and consent and being comfortable, not being comfortable, and it's sort of speaking to the culture there. And yeah. their hope for the film is also to bring it to, let's say, school settings where it could also create dialogue, which I think is interesting. So I, I thought it was interesting that the person put that as, that was part of the Q&A that they attended. 
It is very interesting because that is that is the way the culture has moved for kids is, you know, hookup culture is a thing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like relationships are going are, are, are withering back in in terms of either just groups of friends or people who you are with that you don't have a label. And sure, okay, you can say, you know, I just did something for fun, but doing something for fun still comes with um, some sort of weight to it the moment or later or in the run up or whatever. And those are the stories that we're still now just telling because the landscape has changed. Right. So that, you know, in, when, when that, when that audience member says it that way, um, it is a really good point. And I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up um, because it's the kind of thing that's not depicted that mm -hmm. much in our art yet. It's a, way of being that's kind of still evolving so the storytellers it's not really their language because they haven't they're only now at the age where they're telling their stories and this is this is something that's newer uh than you know than when like even just like the last generation were in school you know i i, I don't i don't want to make it sound like i'm being some sort of like a prude or conservative and saying like it's getting more and more risque but it's just the because the ground keeps on shifting and the lines keep on moving it changes the kinds of stories that the, the generation now is living and they're only now seeing their stories being told. Maybe that's why a film, a, a story like euphoria on HBO gets so much attention because it's, it's very much of the story of now um, that you don't, you don't see it as often or, or we haven't seen it much yet. Right. I think so. And I also think there may be different experiences for young people now, depending on where they live, right? And, oh, totally. they, and obviously, they're individual families, where, you know, mm -hmm. I can say for young people that I know in my life, some of them are very comfortable speaking with their parents. And I'm like, amazing, right? Whereas there's still some other young people that are not quite there yet. So I think it's still that landscape of variety and um I think any kind of art form that can get people talking about mm -hmm. anything that is any topics that are uncomfortable or important or necessary, if you want to use that word, you know, I think it's worth kind of trying out. Yeah. Yeah. I will, you know, we've been, we've been um, praising a lot of what this movie does well for, um, for a little while now. I will say the one thing looking back on it that I feel was a bit of a shortcoming is the film doesn't entirely know what to do with M all the time. She kind of mm -hmm. comes and goes depending on the need of the story. It's unfortunate because she's the one queer kid of the, well, she's the one queer kid of the trio. And then we meet the other trio and there's another mm -hmm. queer kid over there. So mm -hmm. they just kind of cling to each other. And the film, it, it spends a lot of time with the boys. It spends certainly spends a lot of time with Tara and it knows what it wants to do with sky but M kind of feels like this odd man out and, and, and doesn't always know what to do with her. Am I crazy or did you get that too? No, I don't think it's, it's I, I think there's part of that too, where I wish I knew more about her because, mm. you know, we end up seeing her being really sympathetic to her friend at the end, right. When she discovers yeah. the truth and it's like, well, there were, there were indications of her being a little bit mature and like I said, being in the middle and, and the peacekeeper in a way, but her character seems to be missing some of that development, right? Like we just kind of get a little bit of this and that, and also her own exploration of her sexuality and 
and, you know, being excited and nervous and all yeah. those like fun things that um, I think someone in that in that role could also benefit from in, in terms of screen time. At one moment, she talks about how she and Paige were going to hook up like that morning or something because yeah. it was everybody else was going away. Um, but we don't really get into that. And that's, you know, that that's another that's another exploration that we don't see on film. It kind of reminds me of. Um, something that um, Kristen Stewart said recently about how we've reached a stage where queer stories can be all kinds of different things. They don't just have to be the one thing. So yeah. having a queer element of this story, um, just you know, in terms of all of the other shenanigans that's going on, would have been really, really interesting. I mean, it could have just been that's the longer version of the story. Cause we've talked a few times about how this film is just 90 minutes, right. maybe a hundred minute cut of this movie. There's more M. <laughs> or she's really the character that was not meant to be the extreme because she is sort of that. True too. Right. Like it, it, who knows? Yeah. We haven't talked about the boys and I do want to, mm-hmm. um, we've got Badger and we've got Patty. Uh, they play, a very big part in this story. They play very specific types of boys. What did you think of these two lads, how they are used, how they do what they do? I think at first I I didn't know what to make of them. I'm like, oh, are they going to be stereotypical young boys that are, you know, just after the, just after, you know, the fun and the debauchery that is to be away. And, but I do understand that they were a little bit older than the, the young women, the, the young three girls. So because there was an understanding that for the young girls, they were like, let's say we're 18. So I guess they were not quite 18 yet. So I'm guessing the boys might have been 18, 19. Um, so at first, that was, at first I'm like, I think they're going to annoy me their characters. And then I was like, I, I'm not too sure because I got to know Bad- Badger, especially kind of surprised me more at the end. Um, but I don't know. I had a vibe about Patty halfway through the first act where I'm like, something's happening here and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we meet them both, we meet them, we meet Badger first and Patty not long after um, they're very broish. You know, they're very tribal tattoos and bleached hair and both ripped kind of, you know, like very, very bro-ish. They're they're English, so I guess you'd call them laddish. Badger is the one who's got the most complexity Uh by far. The the, the performance of Badger, um, this young man is really, really good at what he does, both in terms of giving you that feeling that, he probably shouldn't be trusted when we first meet him. Like Taz is very like, she thinks he's cute, but she's very skeptical of, of showing her hand. Um, But then later of him, his humanity is, is the best way I can articulate it. He he has a moment where um, he can show himself to be a real human being with real empathy and a real understanding that another person is in front of him and needs something, you know, like needs just a little more, whether it's a little more quiet or a little more space, but just needs something that is not his needs. And he exemplifies that in that moment. Like, I wish it seems strange to say this, but I wish more boys would be like, would be like Badger. Um, even after, and I mean, the, the, the thing that's so 
trippy about that is all of that display of real humanity is after his big shenanigans at this like hyped up (laughs) party where he basically like gets accosted by three women at once. So that's the thing. Like we've seen him eagerly get himself into this situation where he's going to be put on display in such a public and charged way. And then we realize it's like, okay, he may have gone through that, but he's, he has more humanity to him. Like that was unexpected to me. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good turn for that character. I can understand that maybe young men are put in those situations and they don't really know what's going to happen because they're also (laughs) been drinking. I think the reason Badger comes across as more humane in this, in some respects is because he also comes across as being bewilder and WTF in those in some moments where he's like what's happening I'm going with this I want to have a great time but whoa yeah but at the same time I have to react and people want me to look like I'm having fun because I'm a cool bro <laughs> well you know what's what I actually didn't think about until just now one of the film's genius moves hmm. is that it cuts away we actually never Oh. We don't. See, I mean, it's not Badger's story. We don't stay with Badger in that moment. At first, it's a hard cut to black. It's actually really brilliant. Um, and then we come back to it again because we go back through Taz's evening, and mm-hmm. we spend just a little more time with it. But we never watch how Badger walked off that stage. Oh, the, next time, the next time we see Badger, it's the next morning. So what? What's interesting is all of those feelings that you just described. Um, all I would say probably incredibly valid. Like I, I imagine you nailed all of that, like right on the na- right on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all left off screen, you know, and, and it, and it leads to this interesting thing. Like we never really know how Azure felt at the end of that moment, which is good because it's not his story. Um, but we do later on understand that he is much more of a compassionate and humane person because when he sees his new friend, um, you know, in this moment of need, he's the one who's giving her space, who's giving her, um, you know, company and care um, in just, you know, in, in the gentlest ways, even just in the way of putting her in bed and then walking out the door and closing it behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is a stark contrast to what we get out of Patty, um, which is just, 17 kinds of gross throughout this movie. And just when you think he can't be any worse, he finds a way. Patty in this movie is really upsetting to watch. Oh yeah. He is the problematic character. I just think it's, I mean, problematic in the sense that he is, I'm I'm starting to think now that we're talking about the film more. I'm wondering if there were also supposed to be sort of stereotypes of people or young people or young men or, because he could be like a, a, a combination of people that we've all come across, you know, in our time. And some of them are more on the gross side <laughs> and some are more on like, yeah, at first we don't know what to make of them, but they're actually nice people once you get to, to know them. Um, but I do find him problematic because he's just, he walks into a room and there's just something about him that is like, I don't know. The thought is like, it, it's almost like he can just take what he wants kind of thing. He's very entitled. Mm. You know, it's 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 trippy to say because in this movie, it's a lot of kids just like, you know, trying to live like there's no tomorrow, like drinking and partying and, you know, all kinds of drugs and all kinds of sex and just living it up for this one week at the end of the year. But he of everybody we meet, he seems to be the one that really 
takes. He's terrible. Um, I mean, it's it's weird to say I'm happy that he's in this movie, but like he's the kind of guy that seeing this kind of person depicted this way, I feel is important. You have to see the 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 good, bad, ugly, as they say. Yeah, because I feel like there's there's a there's a perception of the kind of person that Patty is is always aggressive and always harmful and always malicious. Where it's like, no, usually the people who do the most harm they seem really pleasant to mm-hmm. most of the world. And ba- but Badger even says he's like that guy's screwed up. Like mm-hmm. I've I've known him since we were kids, and he is he's not who he seems to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's important that it's in this movie that a guy who seems like he's just, you know, a happy go lucky party bro for 90% of the time, that last 10% can turn really malicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can go ugly real quick. I guess the one thing I want to talk about is the sound. What did you think of the sound in, in the film? Like moments. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's lab. I uh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't really notice. I think the one thing that I noticed with the sound was just the way the the like the the vibe of the town is always like just outside the door. Mm. I, I could always hear beats just outside of the scene, even right. when it's like the morning. Right. Yeah. What like did you pick up? Um. Definitely the busyness of the town. Um. There is a town from um one of the. not village like a small city in guatemala that i visited that is also very touristy heavy that morning kind of quiet is almost eerie so i'm like oh i've been somewhere like this where it's like a party town like waiting to like i guess past 2 a.m but if you're like me who wants to go grab a coffee at like eight yeah on vacation right like um it's a whole other ambiance but i also noticed moments where a Taz is at the club. I, I think it's towards the end now where like she's at the club and then the, she gets up on like a speaker or a platform, but then the sound, the music isn't heard anymore and it's just her. Yeah. And they do yeah. that in a couple of places in the film. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, so you're clearly trying to tell me that I should connect on a different level here because not everything is as it seems, right? Yeah. She uses every trick in her book um, really, really deftly. Uh, Molly Manning Walker does. She, it's, she shows a real uh, mastery of craft already, um, certainly when it comes to putting you in her characters' heads, mm-hmm. um, which is not easy to do. You know, there, there's a lot of times where films either don't take the time or don't pull it off. But every character, good and bad, I I was really put into their position of the conversation at every turn. Like nothing nothing is left to chance. The one thing I I, I noticed as well, um, just as a last minute thing here, I did love the way that the kids look after each other when it matters. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that when Badger ties one on early early in the early going, Tara takes after him, like like takes care of him, and she's telling these terrible dad jokes while oh. he's <laughs> hugging the toilet. Um, same thing, like we've mentioned a couple times that yeah. Batman returns the favor later. We've talked about how M often is kind of the nurturer of the group and making sure that Tara's okay. I like that. I like seeing that 
even though these kids are often just trying to let loose, that there's still camaraderie that you described earlier on of like not leaving your friends behind, making sure that everybody's taken care of. I like like seeing that that is the, the, what you described is depicted in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's also very genuine. You would, you would hope so. You know, it's, (laughs) I don't know where we're going all the time, but you would hope so. Mm -hmm. Um, we um, we end every uh, matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this film and keep, you would. Heidi Morales, was there something from uh, How to Have Sex that you would uh, take from the film? I think there this, there's a scene that I would keep and that I'm probably going to think about for a while. Um, is it's after it's the night when um, when Taz has the encounter with Patty. And she meets mm-hmm. the the other group, and the yeah. other group the other group is clearly older. Yeah, I'm not saying like a lot older, but like a few years older. There's like a different. There's like they're there to really just have a good time. Yeah, and I think the reason I like that scene and it stayed with me is because I knew what it was like to go out as someone who was younger with like older cousins. Mm. right and then that there was a buffer there of like a few years older and then I felt like okay the they're not gonna leave me behind or I don't know there was just something about like we're we're gonna we got you we're gonna have fun and then just have fun you know yeah I think that's why I appreciate that scene and also the fact that she found in that whole trip she was able to have a little bit, she could escape for like a moment. Yeah. 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 Where, where they were just like interested in her having a real and genuine good time. There was no expectation of Mm -hmm. look this way. You got to attract this guy. You need to, you know, you you need to be doing this with your body. They're just like, Hey, come with us. Um, You know, we, we, we've got space for you. We've got place for you. We're just going to have some fun, have some laughs. That was a, that was a good thing to have in the film. I think for me, my souvenir something I wanted from this film is when they're walking after hours and they're eating chips, they're eating French fries. I'm like, I remember that feeling. I remember that. Really late night eating some shitty food to soak up the booze feeling. I, 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 you know, like that, that shit food always tasted so good in that moment. So I, I envied that moment when they, when it comes up. <laughs> yeah, that's for true. That's a good one too. Yeah. Like we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Heidi Morales, what do we give how to have sex? Um, as a debut film, I'll give it four stars. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I didn't think about it as a debut film. I'm giving it three. I really, I'm really, really enamored with it. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's shortcomings for me are just shortcomings that come with the story that it wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not going to set the world on fire, but it is a really good movie that I hope people see. And like we said earlier, I would really love uh, some people younger than us to see this movie and, and you know, kind of get their reaction. Mm-hmm. Um Again, tell me where I can talk to the teenage girls. Um, we know we're not going to do a full other side uh, for this episode, but um, were there any movies that uh, came to mind as to potential double features with um, How to Have Sex? I was, you know, I had a. I think I was telling you earlier. I wasn't too sure which ones, and then of course I was, you know, going go, to yeah, go through our searches online, and one came up, but it's I think it's for a different reason. Booksmart. 
Do you remember Booksmart? Yes, yeah, love that movie. Right, because it's such a fun film, and it's again about. In this case, it's two two young girls, but it's also like they're finishing high school, and they have different urgent like urgencies at, in that film. But it's it's still about like those connections and are they going to have fun like that one night or so I'm glad I did a bit of a Google search and I found one. Um, that's a film. I, that was one of my favorite movies that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another movie where I feel like the female gaze is front and center. Um, there's a scene late in that film where one of the two protagonists, um, she hooks up in a bathroom at the party and the way that the girl who she hooks up with looks at her. I'm like, that is that like a guy cannot do this. A guy cannot create that scene and get that lived in um, experience onto the, you know, captured on camera. Um, Love that film so much. I'm, I'm totally here for that movie. Um, I think for me, kind of the, the obvious one in terms of how differently it's told and just how bonkers it takes the whole experience is this would make an interesting pairing with spring breakers. Oh yeah, I you know, about that. which is just—it's just such a bananas, uh, yes. you know, hyped up uh, spring break as backdrop, you know, story. But it's just—it's it's so interesting to see this young adult party vibe used in such different ways, uh-huh. you know. And that, like, I mean, that you want an example of the male gaze—that's a movie. That one. <laughs> um, it's- but I think, like, I think that would make an interesting double feature is we take virtually the same sort of setting and, you know, it's like there's multiple stories that you can tell using mm-hmm. the same type of backdrop. Right. Yeah, it's just how you do it. Well, there we go. That is a short and sweet episode 322 of the Matinee Cast. I am so very thankful that Heidi was able to spend some time with me. Come on back on Monday, March 11th, uh, day after Oscar night for episode 323. Uh, I think we're going to talk about the new Joel Cohen movie, but I haven't locked down. March is a weird time. If you don't want to talk about Dune, there's not a lot you can talk about. Um, But uh, we'll be here. On the 11th, we'll be here to talk about something. Heidi, of course, her site is High's Musings. Uh, anything you want to plug coming up that people can look for? Not yet, but I do want to plug our, the festival that I that I work with, Blood in the Snow Film Festival. Ooh. We are accepting submissions. We support Canadian films, of the genre, like action, horror, sci-fi, nice. short film features. Very cool. Um, there'll be a link for that in the show notes. If anybody's listening to that and wants to pass that along, um, if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Uh, so my website is highmusings.ca, H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S.ca. And on the socials is at H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S. Very nice. And um, check in for the uh, the midday visual. That's always a great part of uh, every Heidi <laughs> shows. When I um, <laughs> <laughs> remember uh you gotta you gotta send an alert that's what i do um my site is the matinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes there you can also find them on apple google spotify uh Pocket Cast. you name it i'm there if i'm not let me know and i'll put it there everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on how to have sex can be left in the comment section of the site you can email me ryan at the matinee.ca on twitter i am still there matinee underscore ca and there's still facebook Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Morales? No, but this was a really good chat. Thank you so much. 
I again, I'm so I'm always so happy to have you on. Um, I'm I'm always so grateful that you uh, drop by. I I I must admit it's often at really late notice because I know <laughs> you see some of the cool stuff that nobody else has seen. Um, so I'm I'm very thankful that you stopped by. Um, for Heidi, I'm Ryan, and we will see you at the matinee. Come on, come on.